1: Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for standing by and welcome to the Pinto Explorations Year End 2020 Financial Results Conference Call. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. After the speaker's presentation, there will be a question and answer session. To ask a question during the session, you'll need to press star 1 on your telephone. As a reminder, today's program may be recorded. And now I'd like to introduce your host for today's program, Darren G., President and Chief Executive Officer. Please go ahead, sir.
2: Okay, well, thanks, Jonathan, and uh, good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks uh, to everyone for tuning in to Paedo's fourth quarter and year-end 2020 conference call today. Before I get started with uh, remarks about the quarter, I would like to remind everybody that all statements made by the company during this call are subject to the forward-looking disclaimer and advisory set forth in the company's news release issued yesterday. In the room with me today is uh, most of the Paedo management team. We've got J.P. Lachance, our VP Engineering and Chief Operating Officer. Kathy Turgeon, our CFO. Uh, Dave Thomas is our VP of Exploration. He's here. Uh, Todd Burdick, our VP of Production, and Lee Kern, our VP of Drilling and Completions, are also here. And our newest member, Derek Zemmer, our VP of Land, is here today. Um, the only one missing is Scott Robinson, our VP of Business Development, but he'll be back in the office tomorrow. Of course, we're all physically distanced in the boardroom and taking all the safety precautions with respect to COVID-19 but I can say we're also extremely relieved to see a significant improvement in Alberta's case count and hospitalizations as well as that of uh, a lot of countries around the world. So hopefully this means the COVID-19 pandemic is coming to an end. Uh, Before I get started uh, talking about the quarter too much, I do want to recognize the efforts of both our office and field personnel this past quarter, and for all of 2020 for that matter. They continued to conduct operations with safety foremost in mind, particularly with COVID and all the other operational risks that exist on an ongoing basis out in the field. We had a relatively busy year, and as usual, executed it in the safest possible manner. Obviously, with that many wells drilled, that many wells completed, tied in, and all of the wells that we're operating every day, there's an enormous number of man hours logged and miles driven. So I'm happy to report that our safety record in 2020 was as good as it's ever been. And so a big thank you then to uh, to all our people, both here in Calgary and out in the field, for continuing to keep the gas flowing so Albertans can keep the lights on and especially the heat uh, on during this cold winter that we've had so far. Okay, fourth quarter results, uh, operationally, we continued to drill some of our very best wells in Q4 and we grew our production throughout the quarter from around 81,000 at the start of the quarter to 87,000 by the end, uh, that's just under half a BCF of gas and close to 12,000 m- barrels of, uh, per day of NGLs, so production's coming up nicely and, and I have to say we had success in several areas across our deep basin lands, uh, from down in Brazo, all the way up to the northern edge of Sundance, and from out west Wild Hay to the eastern part of Ansel, and in many different zones from Blue Sky to Wilrich, Nauticuan, and Cardium. So again, we, uh, we enjoy both geographic and geologic diversity in our program, which I think reduces the risk and the dependency uh, from well to well, so that we're always making the very best investment decision. We've got lots of time to make that decision. With the most information about the previous drilling results so that uh, affords us an opportunity to reduce risk and quite frankly those results were very good the cardium wells we drilled are producing more condensate and natural gas liquids than the average beta cardium well so that's holding our liquids yields up and uh, the gas productivities that we saw from some of our Nauticuans in the quarter were uh, were just phenomenal so uh, some incredible well results And I suppose the best part is that those great well results uh, keep getting cheaper and cheaper, especially uh, relative to how much reservoir we're opening up and how fast we're drilling. Uh, You know, I think that was uh, very evident in our PDP F&D costs this year, dropping over 30%. And, you know, really, I suppose our timing could not have been any better with the rally in both uh, gas and oil prices that we saw in Q4. Um, They weren't prices quite back to what we had in Q4 2019, but they were a lot better than what we saw in the summertime. Uh, NYMEX was up 25% from Q3, and ACO was up 18% from Q3. And those continued to get better even into Q1. So I think our production growth was uh, really well-timed. That uh, growth in production and uh, price drove cash flow up 55% from Q3 2020. It's uh, $49 million bucks to uh, over $76 million in Q4. And we were finally back in the black with respect to earnings both the uh, before the effect really of that impairment reversal we had earnings in the fourth quarter of around 8.3 million dollars so that's good to see Uh, sadly though that still meant uh, we recorded a loss for the year which uh, really is the only blemish on our 22 year track record so that's one will endeavor to not repeat going forward so uh, 2020, I think, was a good year. Uh, It was a good year from an ESG perspective. We reduced our emissions even more on a per BOE basis by capturing more vented and flared methane. Uh, We also did some R&D and tested out a new zero emissions uh, controller that we're going to put to work in the field in 2021 on some new well site installations. Um, So that that emissions reductions trend uh, I think will hopefully continue uh, through 2021 and beyond. We're Constantly working on that. Uh, Todd can give us some more details uh, later on that. Uh, We also formed an ESG committee uh, that is working on a more fulsome ESG report that will be out later this year. John Rossell of our board is uh, chair of that committee. So we're continuing, obviously, to take our ESG responsibilities as seriously as we always have. Uh, What else? Um, Oh, the acquisitions. we mentioned in our reserve release, we negotiated two acquisitions in the quarter that closed early in 2021. They're effective January 1st, 2021. It's, um, it's a very synergistic bit of land and infrastructure that I think plugs nicely onto the north side of Sundance, uh, just under 3,000 barrels a day of, or BOEs a day of production, all from sort of 10-year-old vertical wells that are, extremely stable production less than a 5% annual decline so quite a bit different than the new production that we're building uh, all of that for uh, for around 35 million dollars um, it's mostly gas around 95 percent gas but it also comes with uh, a 30 million a day gas plant that has uh, about 15 million a day of room so that's good uh, and a bunch of gathering lines that uh, we can interconnect they cross over our Sundance uh, gathering system and so that interconnects that whole system into our old man plants to the south plus of course we see some exciting undeveloped opportunity on the lands that we purchased uh, that we can develop with our latest design of horizontal wells so i'm sure it won't be long before that plant is full and we'll be uh, filling up uh, even some of the excess room at old man and old man north with uh, locations on these lands I also assume everybody has read our reserves release of a couple of weeks ago. Uh, if not, I highly encourage it. It's a uh, very thorough uh, analysis, rips apart our reserves eight ways from Sunday, uh, in, in far greater detail than anyone else in the industry. I think the biggest takeaway was that our F and D costs for PDP reserves developed in the year was the lowest in the last 18 years, at close to a dollar in MCFE. Uh, that was our target going into the year, and we just about got there. So, a good job by everyone. Um, We also continued our practice of converting reserves that had been previously booked as undeveloped uh, for even less than we had forecast while getting greater volume. So, that's important when it comes to looking at uh, all future locations that we have on our books. And I think the long life nature of our reserves continued to shine through, uh, particularly when you look at the difference between undiscounted values and discounted values. There's an incredible free option there for shareholders uh, on those long-dated reserves if you want to take a look at those numbers. So that was pretty much it for the fourth quarter in 2020. uh, Mostly a pretty steady year of drilling operations, uh, except for those uh, couple tuck-in acquisitions at the end of the year uh, and the volumes that came with those. As for 21, um, you know, this year has already been even better than we expected with uh, continued great well results, uh, obviously some, uh, some pretty exciting commodity prices in the month of February, and, uh, and even new opportunities coming our way. So, you know, the, the prices we got, uh, particularly at Ventura over the February long weekend, was uh, quite a nice bonus for the year. And if we can put, uh, I think, COVID in the rearview mirror, uh, this might actually be a, a fun year ahead of us. Uh, I think we're, we're well protected when it comes to the upcoming summer with our hedge book, and um, particularly with respect to the ACO market. And I think we're looking forward to next winter and the potential lift uh, that we're expecting to see on the back end of the natural gas price curve. Uh, which we're pretty confident is going to happen. So that obviously has significant value on all the rest of our reserves that we're about to develop. Anyway, that's probably it for the year and enough for the quarter. So, uh, Jonathan, why don't we uh, take this opportunity to throw it open to questions from the listeners?
1: Certainly. Ladies and gentlemen, if you have a question at this time, please press star then 1 on your touchstone telephone. If your question has been answered and you'd like to remove yourself from the queue, please press the pound key. Our first question comes from the line of Jerry McCartney. He's a shareholder. Your question, please.
0: Yes, uh, Darren. uh, Congratulations to you on uh, a very good conclusion to a difficult year and a great start to the new year. Uh, My question relates to um, your ongoing hedging program. And uh, I think it was last quarterly report you mentioned how much the – old hedges had cost versus uh, ongoing pricing, and uh, that was extremely helpful because it gives an idea of uh, future economics because the picture as we roll forward improves not just because of the current pricing but also because of the rolling over of uh, hedges that were made during um, more difficult periods. So as we look forward, I had noticed that you had uh, – Put on some basis hedges for next uh, uh, Q1 of 22 that were a very small hedge went on 5000 at $0.63 cents versus your existing um, ones on Henry Hub, the basis trades that were at $1.41, and that's extremely favorable. If you could just comment on... Uh, the forward hedging and the maturation of the older crop that were more difficult. Uh, I would appreciate that.
2: Yeah, you bet, Jerry. That's a you know, cute observation of how the market has definitely changed uh, over the last few years. You know, the uh, the high cost basis deals that we had put in place um, were put in place mostly in 2018, and, um, you know, and at that at that time obviously the eco market was extremely disconnected from the rest of North America. Lack of access to storage had uh, created some incredibly weak summer prices. And so we were looking, you know, at a forward curve there of about a buck fifty while NyMex was at about three dollars. So um, you know, we didn't have a lot of confidence that the ACO market was ever going to get fixed, uh, and so we started to diversify away from it. Put uh, basis deals in place to get us down to the U.S. markets uh, at many of the different hubs, um, mostly NYMEX, because you know that was obviously the most liquid one. And those were pretty high cost. Like you say, uh, you know, we had some dollar uh, thirty-five basis for the winter, some dollar forty basis uh, prices for the summer. And, you know, then in the sort of uh, uh, later in, in what was that the fall of 19, I guess it was, uh, we saw the temporary service protocol approved by the CER and the ACO market quickly reconnected with the rest of North America. And so for most of 2020, obviously, we saw a basis that was more typical. Um, it slowly tightened up and uh, and we saw prices anywhere from sort of I would say 75 cents to a dollar for basis in there, um, which was quite a bit better. Uh, And of course, so we're we're having to live with the the basis we put in place that were higher cost than that. And so the market diversification cost, as we illustrate, is pretty high, uh, you know, at about a buck an MCF. But as those roll off, uh, as you noted, uh, our realized pricing is gonna increase quite a bit. We're continuing to diversify at what the current cost is, which is, uh, as you point out, A lot more attractive you know something in the 65 cent range or 75 cent range uh, is even less than the cost of pipe or pipe contracts so that's uh, that's attractive to us and gives us the diversification away from the ACO market that is still I think subject potentially to uh, some volatility here as we move forward so uh, so we like that uh, particularly just in the next few years until I think we start to see LNG Canada's project come on and a little more tension in the, in the Western Canadian uh, market from a, from a demand perspective. We've got, obviously, pull to Eastern Canada and pull down into the States for exports, but uh, to have pull on the West Coast as well would be really nice. I think that would tighten up that uh, eco market quite a bit. So uh, these short-term basis deals uh, to us look attractive, um, so we'll continue to layer them in, uh, as we always do. We try to be sort of mechanical with not only the diversification uh, pieces that we're putting in place, but also with the hedges that we then lay on top of that. So we put the basis deals in place, that gets us the synthetic transport to those markets, and then we can hedge those markets and fix those prices, which we've also been doing. Uh, Obviously, the spot prices, pretty much right across North America are at, at prices today that are acceptable to us. They work well with our economics, and so we're taking them off the table, and we're building back the hedge book that we uh, that we used to enjoy prior to 2018. Uh, we had a very strong hedge book then. It was a very mechanical hedging strategy that that built out a profile of hedges into the future, and we'd like to con- get back on that train and continue that practice. I think that served uh, shareholders very well, and it, it was very helpful for us to plan Appropriate capital programs and uh, appropriate dividends and, and balance sheet management. So uh, we're we're eager to get back there. I think we're we're close to there the target levels that we're looking for in the next uh, few seasons. But a uh, little further out, uh, we need to we need to add some hedges. And we're uh, optimistic that the back end of that curve is going to come up. And uh, we're going to be able to take those prices off the table as well at uh, what looks like attractive uh, tra- attractive gas prices for us. that
1: uh, answers your question. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Our next question comes in the line of Terry Kavanaugh from Oakmont Capital. Your question, please.
3: Hi, good morning. Um, I um, also echo the uh, comments about, you know, uh, congratulations for doing a great job last year. I I wouldn't mind if you could spend a little more time. um, uh, It's really a follow-on to the first question. You know, with respect to these uh, market diversification costs, you know, you um, really with respect to the timing of the roll off of them, like um, I know uh, uh, in the third quarter, uh, I think you guys said they'd be significantly reduced over time. I think on the converse on the call uh, with respect to the third quarter, I think you referred to the coming two quarters, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, In in the outlook today, it describes, uh, you know, the diminishing gas market uh, cost with respect to the 21 outlook. But in the paragraph under marketing, it talks about these things uh, 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 decreasing over the next two years. I'm really more, I'm interested in when we'll get back to some kind of normalcy um, uh, and the timing of it. Is it two quarters? Is it two years? Is it, you know, are we going to see most of it this year? Uh, just a little more color on maybe even what they, you know, um, on just how, how we'll get back to normal, if that makes any sense. Thank you.
2: No, it, it totally does, Terry, and appreciate it. It's uh, obviously much more difficult for uh, investors to look through now because we've got so much uh, diversity in our marketing. Um, we've had to, obviously, put that in place. Um, we're not just as simple as selling gas at ACO anymore. Um, But but you're right, uh, you know, it's a bit tricky to try and predict because, of course, the the ACO prices trade somewhat independently of NYMEX, and that's that basis differential between those two markets um, that sort of floats around. And so at any point in time when we talk about what's going to be the market diversification cost for that next quarter, it's based on the future strip for both of those commodities as we're looking forward. Um, And so it moves around a little bit, but... um, You know, I think we're obviously seeing uh, some very strong pricing uh, in Q1. And I think our our market diversification costs in Q1 uh, won't be as high as uh, they've historically been. Uh, They will look pretty good. And then as we enter into summer, uh, you know, there's some softer prices in both uh, NYMEX and ACO and we'll see that market diversification cost go up a little bit as we see some softening in the summer NYMEX price, unless, of course, um, we we see strength in the NYMEX relative to weaker ACO prices, which we could possibly see because uh, the TSP was not extended into the summer of 21 for the Alberta market, so we could see some weakness and volatility there, and storage numbers in the U.S. look like they're headed pretty low, and so if the refill isn't as aggressive as... uh, you might predict then we could see some strength in the NYMEX, In which case, you know, our diversification costs will fall for the for the next summer couple of quarters. Right now, we're forecasting them to be uh, to be the higher parts of the year. And then really with Q4 of 21, that's when everything starts to fall away. The, these old basis deals, uh, more and more of them start to fall away. We get a much tighter price. Uh, and then entering into 2022. Uh, you know, our prediction for the year in 22 is that uh, we would get very close to the the current ACO realized price or the current uh, delta, really between uh, Nymex and ACO. So, effectively, uh, market diversification costs in 22 we're forecasting right now would be very little, uh, if anything at all. And, and then, actually, into 2023, w- we would actually start to benefit from a lot of the diversification, getting actual prices realized that are superior to that of what the ACO forward strip shows. So, um, you know, it's all this sort of layering and, and smoothing approach, obviously, to the diversification and then hedging on top of that. Uh, but, uh, you know, realized prices look like uh, they'll be getting back to normal, as you say, uh, by sort of the fourth quarter of 21 and into all of 22. And then uh, we look to do a better job than uh, just the local eco market uh, Beyond 22 into 23 and, uh, and after that. So hopefully that helps a little bit. It's, it's hard to pin it down, of course, because it's moving every day with the forward curves.
1: Great, thank you. Thank you. Our next question comes in line of Aaron Biokoski from TD Securities. Your question, please.
4: Hey, good morning, Darren. Good morning, Aaron. Um, So, we're coming up here on NGL recontracting season, how should we think about NGL differentials and realizations in 2021 versus last year?
2: Yeah, from what we're seeing in the market, um, you know, there is still strong storage of uh, propane and butane particularly. across north america uh, high levels of storage relative to the five-year average as you've probably seen as well they're coming down of course i mean the cold winter helped pull those down a bit um, and we'll see what other demands there are particularly export opportunities Um, propane was being exported aggressively here through q1 obviously the cold weather in europe and other places uh, you know put big demand on any hydrocarbons really that could be moved to those cold um, winter uh, weather events that were happening uh, so we've seen um, particularly strong propane prices on the spot uh, and in the short term uh, those weaken as we obviously get into the summer months um, but still look not too bad so propane prices actually have reversed quite a bit they were they weren't all that great in 2020 and, uh, and we've definitely seen them strengthen a lot lately Uh, Butane prices, on the other hand, obviously butane is used uh, principally um, in Edmonton as a a feedstock for the refineries to make gasoline. Um, Obviously gasoline demands are not great because of COVID, not a lot of driving, not a lot of flying. So uh, butane stocks remain relatively high. Uh, Butane is typically traded on a differential to WTI or light oil price, for instance. And I would say under normal situations, it should trade pretty close to 50% of light oil. Um, Right now, I think indications for the recontracting year are butane somewhere around the sort of high 30s to 40% maybe. Uh, I think last year, our average term uh, deals were somewhere in the 46% range. So we might be slightly under that uh, as renewals for this year. Uh, but, uh, you know, those those two are changing quite dra- dramatically. You know, the storage levels uh, of butane are coming down really fast as well. Um, so, you know, if I had to guess, I would say that uh, the blend of propane and butane uh, pricing realizations might be similar to 2020, uh, what we see in 2021. Maybe a little bit weaker butane and a little bit stronger propane. So all in all, maybe we see uh, something similar uh, to slightly better, Um, but not a not a ton better. Even though we've seen uh, oil prices obviously recover a lot, Um, those two those two products, you know, are still sort of we're still working through a bit of a storage glut on them as well. So um, maybe throughout the year we'll see spot prices improve, and then you know by 2022 we might actually see some really really exciting-looking uh, uh, differentials and, and prices for those products.
4: Perfect. Thanks, Darren. I appreciate the color.
2: Yeah, you bet.
1: Thank you. And as a reminder, ladies and gentlemen, if you have a question at this time, please press star and then 1. Our next question comes in the line of Sean McPherson from Industrial Alliance. Your question, please.
5: Uh, yes, hi. I was hoping you could tell us roughly what uh, – um, what percentage of your production is exposed to each sales head? Uh,
2: Percentage production, I'm going to have to take a guess, Uh, Sean. We've got that one slide on our uh, website and uh, in the presentation. We update it all the time, of course. Uh, It depends really on the season that we're looking at. But, um, you know, the eco-exposure is probably – uh, somewhere around maybe a little under a third, a- and then the other two thirds is really distributed across uh, mostly NYMEX influenced prices. Um, we've, we've got a fair chunk at the Henry Hub, um, and then we've got, uh, you know, probably about uh, again another two thirds at the Henry Hub, and then we've got the uh, remaining third, I think, equally split amongst uh, smaller hubs like Malin. Ventura, uh, Emerson, Um, until we get into sort of the uh, fall of 21 and then uh, it redistributes a little bit. We've got far less really exposed to uh, both ACO and IMAX, and a lot more uh, becoming exposed to sort of the Dawn area. We've got a lot of Emerson service that kicks in in November of 21. Uh, It's good, good one year renewable uh, lower priced service that, uh, Uh, gives us a superior price. Um, Emerson's not really a hub that you can trade a lot of gas at, but it does get us halfway down the main line uh, towards Dawn, and then it branches out from Emerson, goes down the Great Lakes system, we get more into the Chicago market uh, with that way, or we can go over the top of the Great Lakes and into Dawn, and the sort of Eastern Canadian market, and and beyond that into the Northeastern US market. So, um, you know, we think that's going to be a strong market going forward. uh, so it, it's really changing and evolving. It, it, uh, I mean, those percentages, you know, will be similar for I guess really through the summer of 21. But then, as of the fall of 21, they start to uh, they start to change a little bit, and uh, we get a little more exposure to sort of eastern Canada and northeastern U.S. and a little less exposure to to NYMEX. But um, we're, we're we're cautious about the ACO market. I know it's strong right now, but um, we're, we're still Uh, careful in terms of our exposure there. Uh, We're not overly confident that uh, the storage uh, system is working effectively uh, on the NGTL, uh, sort of the the Western Canadian uh, gathering system doesn't seem to have full access to storage yet uh, in a way that makes us really comfortable with it, so uh, we're cautious with respect to that going forward for the next little while anyway.
0: perfect thank you
2: thank you
1: our next question comes in line of nathan schwartz private investor your question please
5: uh yes um first uh, let me thank you and your team for everything you do for the shareholders i feel fortunate to have you guys managing some of my money um my two questions are related uh first is the uh bank borrowing and the penalty interest rate when do you anticipate that falling away And the related question is, how are you thinking about the dividends, and when might you anticipate an increase in the dividends?
2: Sure. Good questions, Nathan. Maybe, actually, I'll just pass uh, over to Kathy Turgeon, our CFO, to talk a little bit about the the banking situation.
6: Okay. Um, Yeah, thanks for the question. As uh, you could see, in our Q3, Q4, our interest rates are significantly higher than historically they have been, and uh, that is due to our um, debt to stamping fee costs. So as we see those coming down, obviously we're going to normalize back, um, and we're seeing that uh, in Q1, um, definitely by Q2 of 2021, we'll be back well below four times, which will bring us down in the actual costs on our interest. It takes a little while for that to flow through on the way stamping fees work, but by the end of 2021, we should see a more normalized interest cost that would be on a per MCFE basis more in the mid-20s as opposed to $0.38 cents per MCFE that we're seeing right now. And from an interest rate point of view, we should be seeing like 100 to 150 bps less we also have our bank deal coming up for renewal. Um, our term date is October 2022, so we'll be looking to renew that this, this summer. And um, obviously, pricing will be part of our discussion.
2: And then, uh, sure. Nathan, your second question with respect to dividends. Um, you know, obviously, we're looking closely uh, at our cash uses, cash inflows, cash outflows. Uh, wanting to ensure our balance sheet stays uh, front of mind as well. Um, we're looking at, uh, right now, we're forecasting quite a bit of free cash flow over and above our capital requirements to get us uh, really back up to that 100,000-a-day level. We think we can exit the year somewhere between 95 and 100,000 barrels a day, close to that 100,000 level if we get the efficiencies we're looking for Um you know, that's with uh, about $350 million or, or a little less of total capital for the year. Uh, that, like I say, is, is far less than the, the cash flow we're forecasting with commodity prices we're looking at today. So uh, that gives us a bunch of free cash flow to consider uh, you know, what are we going to do with that. I think, uh, obviously, initially we just put that on the bank line. But uh, also looking at how the earnings are evolving and earnings are strengthening. Uh, our forecast of earnings for the year is coming up nicely. Uh, we're getting back to the type of profit margins that we used to enjoy, which uh, we want to feel confident about. And, um, and so I think you know as we get into the back half of this year, obviously uh, the board will start to think about uh, dividends again uh, more seriously and uh, weigh that against. Um, cost capital for the company and uh, what the 2022 year starts to look like. I think it'll really be a a sort of fourth quarter uh, 21-2022 decision. And, um, you know, there's, there's still a lot of backwardation in the commodity tape right now. Both oil and gas prices fall away pretty hard as we look out into 22 and 23. And so that... We, we expect that to change. Um, we expect the back end of that curve to come up, and I think as it does, obviously we'll gain a lot more confidence in the total amount of free cash flow that we're going to be throwing off in 22 and 23. You know, I think we want to uh, probably uh, have a have both a combined um, use for that free cash flow, both in terms of balance sheet uh, strengthening reducing our debt as well as, uh, as dividend uh, rewards to shareholders. so I, I like I say I think it's really a sort of uh, the back half 21 into 22 uh, type of uh, discussion at the board level. Um, and we'll, we'll see what the, uh, what the future looks like when we get to that point. I think we want to see really the solidification of the commodity price uh, strip uh, into the 22 and 23 years. Right now, it's like I say, it's, it looks a bit odd to us to see such severe backwardation in the forward curve. And so um, we'd want to see some of that coming out of there so we can lock that away and, and secure the, the pricing that uh, we need to generate a lot of that uh, free cash flow.
5: Great. Thank you for the clarification. I appreciate it.
2: No problem.
1: Thank you. Once again, if you have a question at this time, please press star, then 1. And this does conclude the question and answer session of today's program. I'd like to hand the program back to Darren G, President and Chief Executive Officer, for any further remarks.
2: Okay. Well, that was uh, that was good. Lots of uh, good inbound questions. Um, you know, I think um, we obviously have uh, some big plans for twenty twenty one. It's going to be a busy year. Um, did have uh, some inbounds uh, emailed in over the, over the last week or so, questions about uh, this new acquisition that we're, we, we've we recently picked up, and so maybe if I can take a moment and just uh, I wanted to ask Todd Burdick, our VP Production, uh, a little bit about the integration of those assets. Obviously, we picked those up just after the new year here, closed those deals, and uh, are still integrating a lot of those. Um, Sometimes acquisition integration is uh, a difficult process if the acquisitions are large, but I I don't think this one was uh, or is expected to be overly difficult. Todd, maybe if you could elaborate a little bit on how that's going and maybe some of the upside that we're seeing in that asset. Yeah, sure. Um, So, you know, things have gone really
4: smoothly so far. Um, You know, we kind of took over operatorship at the beginning of February. <clears throat> Excuse me. I got to give kudos to Scott and his team for sort of facilitating, uh, you know, a transition. And along with the previous operator as well, they've made it a lot easier for us, and, and so that we can make a transition really quickly. Uh, but last week we finished the integration of uh, the SCADA system for both plant and wells into Pado system. So now we have real-time visibility on all of the wells and all of the plants, which is nice to see, so we can start working on uh, optimization. So, you know, we, we've we been looking at well optimization opportunities. Um, they've been evaluated, and this week we've been busy in the field uh, implementing changes that, that should result in seeing more gas at the plant gate, so uh, we're excited about that. Um, We'll also be reactivating and redirecting some wells that had flowed to third parties uh, but were shut in due to low gas prices and high fees. Um, So that redirection, which is really going to be done at very little cost, uh, will bring those wells into the Cecilia gathering system as well. We're just waiting on the license transfer piece with the AER before we can do some of that work. as far as pipeline infrastructure, we've evaluated any constraints, um, and uh, we're making changes to operating strategies. Um, those will be implemented where applicable. Uh, essentially, without going into too much detail, the result will be more consistent flow in the gas gathering system and less liquid holdup, so that uh, the wells will will produce and, and perform better. Um, that was one of the things we spent a lot of time on looking at. Um, you know, we've already we've had one six-inch connection to the uh, old man system in place for years uh, with the original operator and developer of the assets. Um, the uh, a portion of that pipe had been uh, decommissioned, so we're going to recommission that line. Again, once the license transfer happens, we'll be able to do that, so then we'll have a connection with part of the Cecilia infrastructure into the Old Man and Old Man North uh, infrastructure. And then as well, we've been looking at you know little sort of short tie-in opportunities. Um, it won't cost much capital, uh, but will give us some flexibility to even get gas tied in and, and into the Wild Hay area. So, uh, we'll we'll move on those sort of as the development dictates I think for for most part but um, you know we've identified a lot of a lot of opportunities um, you know and that that will give us obviously flexibility to swing gas around multiple plants like we have elsewhere in the Greater Sundance area and then finally I think you know we've been uh, we'll, we're going to leverage our relationships with. Uh, some of our key vendors out there. so we'll get those those vendors working in the Cecilia area and you know with the long-standing relationships and, and you know pricing that we see with them we'' will we'll not only get you know reliable service but we'll also see you know, an impact uh, on an operating cost reduction basis. So um, a lot of work has been happening and we're we're excited to, to keep pushing things forward.
2: No that sounds really good. Thanks, Todd. Um, Dave, uh, I know you were eager to get your hands on these lands. There were some interesting opportunities there. Um, without telling our
5: competitors too much, uh, did you want to elaborate on some of the things we're excited about there? Yeah, sure, Darren, maybe just a bit. Uh, the The opportunities we're most excited about are in the Spirit River and the Dunvegan. Uh, we've got 3D seismic over pretty much all of the new, new lands, and... Uh, uh, we have eight Nauticuens and two Wilrich locations uh, already teed t- up to uh, drill later this year. Um, we're especially keen on the Nauticuans because they've been a pretty big part of uh, this year's uh, success, and we see them as uh, helping us continue that momentum into 2021 and 2022. Um, in 2023, we'll follow the- those uh, those wells up with uh, more nautic killings plus some philares, and we're keen to target uh, the the Dunvegan, which is present over the northern part of the the lands. There's also a good amount of cardium opportunity, which we're uh, very familiar familiar with. Uh, But ultimately, we see the potential for over 100 locations on the 54 sections, uh, and uh, I'd just like to to, uh, complement the beat, team uh, they worked very hard to make this happen and we're really keen to to start drilling sounds really exciting
2: um, Scott's not here JP I don't know if you want to uh, stand in for him but um, th- you know, obviously the industry is, is talking a lot these days about uh, M&A um, y- you know we, we haven't typically been a company that does a lot of M&A we tend to uh, do a lot of organic development uh, on our own, but we've had a few little complementary uh, deals that we've tucked in here, there, and uh, maybe s- smaller stuff. Uh, what, what's the strategy going forward? Is it uh, big stuff or small stuff? What, what are you thinking? Well, I think, like you said, we've always had great
7: success with, you know, the sort of um, bread and butter kind of tuck-in acquisitions around our assets. We we, we do that, be it farm-ins or poolings or you know, swaps or whatever the case may be, uh, you know, our land department and, and, and the BD group are both busy doing that. So, you know, it's tough for us. We You know, when we add production at 9,000 a flowing BOE, it's hard for us to sort of look at major acquisitions in some sense because the value expectation on the other side is usually quite high as well. And it's for us to get that, we want to make a profit here. So, I mean, there's going to be these opportunities like we just discovered and, and, and especially when they come with infrastructure, we'll continue to look at these. There are other operators out there and there are other lands out there that, similar to this, that we'll continue to pursue. That is the strategy. I mean, uh, I think with our cost structure and, uh, you know, acumen on the, in that regard, we will certainly have more of these opportunities
2: available to us, and that's really the strategy to continue. Okay, great. Um, you know, I think that's uh, probably it for the quarter and for the year for us. Um, We're obviously excited about 21, and uh, already we've seen uh, some interesting developments with commodity prices. And uh, you know, obviously, uh, we're continuing to perform here. Um, We've got a active year planned. You know, a bigger capital program, quite a bit bigger than uh, 2020. So we're going to be busy. But um, that's not all that we can do. Obviously, we're looking to do even more than that. So uh, we're going to keep working on some of those future opportunities. and we'll report back to you guys on uh, how that's coming. But uh, obviously, uh, the strategy at PAYDO has never changed. We're all about uh, generating the maximum return we can on every dollar that we can put to work for shareholders. So uh, we're going to continue that vein and uh, keep pushing to lower costs and improve profitability uh, as we go. And so we'll be back to you uh, reporting on uh, the first quarter, how that went, and uh, how we're headed into break up here. in May, I guess. So thanks for listening in, and
1: uh, we'll talk to you then. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for your participation in today's conference. This does conclude the program. You may now disconnect. Good day.
0: Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's Investor Relations section on their website. See you next time.